0: Good morning, family. It's good to see you all. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a pleasure to be with you. If you're online, thank you for joining us online. I hope that you've been welcomed and been made to feel encouraged and and hopefully connected. Well, before we get into the word, uh, I just have a couple things. First of all, thank you to everyone who's taken part in our Thanksgiving uh, food drive. If you don't know, we are participating in a, a Thanksgiving food drive where we are Collecting food for a Thanksgiving meal for for people in need in our uh, Sterling area, specifically for DHS, Dominion High School, where we are sitting and meeting now, if you're online, where you are watching us meet here now. And so we've asked you to pledge to sponsor a family or uh, several dinners, one dinner. Uh, we know of one small group. They, they just brought together their, their money, and, and they're going to be able to support several different meals. And, and we've had some people deliver food. You, there's, there's still time for you to do so. You can drop off at our uh, Ridgetop location, if I'm not mistaken. If I am mistaken, then it will be corrected at the end. But uh, on Friday... Um, and, and I would just encourage you to take part in this. It's going to be a great moment for us to love on our, our community well. Uh, well, last week we began this series where I really wanted, in light of, of the election and, and the, the turmoil in our country, I wanted to just take a moment to think about who we are, not as red or blue um, or green, or orange, or whatever your your political persuasion might might be, but but what we are as Christians, and what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, because Republican, Democrat, really American citizen, uh, Korean citizen, member of the UK, wherever you're from, there's a, there's an underlying unifying allegiance that we have as Christians. That not only is it underlying, it supersedes other allegiances. I and mean, when we sang about it, you know, I just want you. And sometimes we think about these things in in really personal, relational contexts, but but when we think about our 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 culture and our world, do we really just want Jesus? Where are we willing to, to forego the the benefits of our our particular civil duties, or, or, or are we holding on to those things and Jesus? And so we, we started last week to talk about the kingdom of God, and we talked about the kingdom's king, Jesus, how he's the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign king. And today we're going to talk a little bit about his kingdom and really the only other kingdom uh, that the Bible talks about. I mean, the Bible talks about nations in, in great detail, but, but really those nations exist Um, Under the the authority and the rulership of another kingdom And so we're going to talk about that in just a moment We're going to be reading out of colossians chapter 1 Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 now if you're new what we do as a church You may or may not have a background like this. We stand as we read the word of god Uh, It's a bit of a responsive reading. Well, it's not responsive. We're going to all read together uh, the, the purpose for this is to encourage one another by hearing the word of God on our own lips and the lips of our neighbors, and we stand by way of, of reverencing God and his word. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your goodness to us, that though we exist apart from you in in rebellion, uh, as your word says, under the power of the prince of the air, under the domain of darkness, in, in in a foreign kingdom, Lord, that you By your son, through his life, death, and resurrection, and and through faith, you transfer us into the kingdom of light. You transfer us into the kingdom, as your word says, of your beloved son, who is the king. And then you make us subjects, willing, obedient subjects by your spirit. God, I pray that we would be quickened by your word to live as subjects of your kingdom to embrace your reign, to embrace your rule in our life, to embrace your lordship, not just your sacrifice and your salvation, but your lordship, which calls us to live a particular kingdom lifestyle. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So now, I don't know if you've been listening, but on Wednesday nights we have, as at Grace Covenant Church, our larger church body. Uh, we have what's called 7:15. It's a, it's a service. It, it began as a prayer service, but it really has become a moment for us to pray and and to hear from various pastors within our church congregation and and be encouraged and edified and and equipped. And so we've been going through the Book of Colossians. And in fact, last Wednesday I believe. Pastor Germain spoke, and it was it was a great message. Uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to his and others. But we've been looking at the Book of Colossians because it it pre- presents this pretty amazing picture of of God and of Jesus specifically. The Colossians were struggling with the idea of the supremacy of Jesus. They had had some people who were coming in and were challenging some of the 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 beliefs of the gospel that Paul had had given them. You know. Paul had basically said, Jesus is your Savior. He is your Lord, and and you are saved by faith. That was his gospel message, saved by grace through faith. He mentions it in, in Ephesians. But they were beginning to allow some other things to be added to this gospel. Well, sure, yes, Jesus saves us by faith, but also... You know, there's this thing called asceticism where, where if you abstain from certain things, maybe if you, if you allow self harm to happen, if you do certain things, then it'll make you more holy. It'll make you better. It'll add to what Christ has already accomplished. Or, or maybe you know, Jesus is—he's a pretty impressive guy. But, but what about these other uh, supernatural beings, these angelic beings? Maybe if we worship them with Jesus, maybe if we have a, a bit of a pantheon, then the more, the merrier, the holier, the better experience we have. And so, we see—if you were to read through Colossians, you see hints of of some of these her, uh, heresies, really. And by heresy, I mean things that really come against the gospel itself teachings that come against and are against the gospel message itself. And so Paul is coming and he's correcting their view really with a, a a cosmic view of who Jesus is. Not cosmic in the sense that it's a star far away that you don't have any relationship with or you can't connect with, but cosmic in the sense that Jesus' rule and reign and his supremacy, it, it's cosmic, it's gigantic, it, it's, it's greater than every... Uh, uh, heavenly being, heavenly uh, uh, star. I mean, it's greater. It's not just about you and your relationship with God and the forgiveness that you receive. It's about His rulership over all of creation. You know, it, it says in, in Genesis one, "When in the beginning God," and we we are immediately introduced to the fact that God was in the beginning and He created. And then in the in the Gospel of John, we hear John say, "In the beginning, the Word." was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And he goes on to say that nothing was made that has been made apart from the word. In other words, not to be punny, but in other words, uh, Jesus was present with the father in the beginning and his, therefore his reign and rulership is over everything that they made. You know, if I, if I write a book or a a letter or, or if I create something with clay that looks terrible because I'm not an artist, I, I still have authority over that thing which I've created. You, you can't come to me and say, this is what you were trying to say in this book. You can't say, this is what you are trying to create. Now, you might want to look at it and interpret it yourself, but ultimately, it's my authority that determines the, the meaning of whatever I've created. And, and so we see that Jesus is ruler over all that he has created, which is everything. And in the book of Colossians, we see that, that Paul is trying to reestablish this big-picture idea of Jesus and his reign. That Jesus came back, and God has he's redeemed his people, he's redeemed his creation, and, and not only did he have authority before, but he's reestablished that authority. So it's, it's with that context that we come to verses 13 and 14. Um, Paul is actually, if we were to go so far as to verse 9, he's, he's praying to the, about the Colossians. And he says, he says that he prays for them. And he says, and so from the day we heard, that we heard about you guys, about your faith, your hope, your love... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in order that, or so that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's saying, I hope that you would be encouraged, that you would be filled with the wisdom of God, that you know more about him, about his gospel. Why? So that you can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. In other words, so that you can live a lifestyle that is worthy of being called a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, or son or daughter of God the Father a brother or a sister of Jesus Christ, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there's this, you bear fruit, and as you obey, you bear fruit, and as you obey, you you come to know him more. And then as you come to know him more, you obey and you bear fruit, and, and it's this circular process that he's praying for. May you be strengthened, he goes on to say, with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance, right? Be strengthened with power so that you can endure with patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's verse 12. He says, I want you to be strengthened so that you can endure and you can give thanks to the Father. What Father? The Father who has qualified, made you, um, made you able to be a part of this inheritance of the saints in light. And then we get to verse 13. He talking about the father, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We see that God does two things here. And really, as we talk about this, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about his deliverance, his transference, and his redemption. His deliverance, his transference, and his Redemption. First, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. Since the fall, and by that I mean since Adam and Eve first disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in rebellion against God's explicit command not to do so, since that day, humanity has existed under the fall. In, in the moment that Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3... Listened to Satan, who was in the form of a serpent, and they obeyed Satan in that moment that they took from the apple. What they were doing was giving the authority that had been given to them to Satan. So Adam and Eve had been established as vice regents. And stick with me, guys, but we're going to get some theology under place so we can understand the idea of the, these kingdoms. But Adam and Eve had been set up as rulers, and they were supposed to rule under God. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and and have dominion over the earth. That was their rule. They were king and queen under God, or prince and princess under God. And the moment that they submitted themselves to another person, they handed over that authority. And so from that moment on, humanity was enslaved both sin and satan and that sounds kind of spooky and and we don't think that way in in the present day because you know being rational modernistic uh um people who 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 look at 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 the world and 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 measure it by what we can see hear taste smell missing one of the senses someone yell it out Touch. touch thank you as i grab my finger Clearly, I'm not very kinesthetic. Um, I'm more of a sight-hearing guy. Anyways, um, because we we often reduce reality to those things, those things that we can sense, we take for granted that we live in a spiritual reality. And in that reality, we are subjects of the domain or the power of darkness. That word there, domain, it's it's exousias. It It has to do with power. But it's not just like power to do stuff, it's power like authority, power like dominion. We are under the dominion of, of Satan. And that again, that sounds spooky, but it's, it's not necessarily the same kind of... It doesn't have to conjure up ideas of, of scary movies. What it means is that we live in a kingdom that is opposed to God. You and I, we, we come, it comes to us naturally to be opposed to God and his ways, God established the family, the father and mother as authorities in the children's life. And if you're a parent, you understand this reality because you don't teach your kids to disobey. They, they just do it. It's a natural talent of theirs. They, they, And they are creative. They are thoughtful. They are practiced in their disobedience. And if you're chuckling, you are also practiced in your disobedience because we are all under apart from Christ, under this. Ephesians 2 says it this way. You were dead, in the, and this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, so it's a very similar statement. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And when, when Paul says world, he often doesn't mean just like earth. He's talking about the, the systems and, and the, the uh, setup of, of the, the fallen world. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked or lived following the, the course of this world, following the, what, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in whom? In the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature what children of wrath. In other words, we were born into the wrath of God because we were born into sin. We were born into rebellion. And because of that, there was a wrath hanging over us because of our disobedience. God's righteous and right anger over injustice and sin was on us. We were children of wrath. And I don't mean to be mean or hurtful. But when we think of other people, we recognize that. You know, those people, they yes, they, they're evil, they're wicked, they're under. But where do we draw the line, family? We, you can't just draw the line around yourself. Everyone else, children of wrath, because that would be not fair. That would not be just. That would not be righteous. But God is a righteous God, and we are all under the wrath of God, apart from Christ. We are children of wrath. In Galatians, another letter that Paul writes Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. That formerly, talking about prior to f- faith in Christ, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that were by nature are not God's. In other words, he said to the Galatian church, before you knew God, you were enslaved to the other things that you worshiped. Family, we are made as worshipers. The question is not whether or not we worship, the question is what or whom we worship. Your coworkers, when when you go to work. They're worshiping something. Your friends and family, they're, they're worshiping something. Celebrities on TV, they're worshiping something. Whether it's fame or it's uh, friends or it's, it's family or it's uh, success or it's uh, some sort of pleasure or experience, we pursue things that we can submit ourselves to, that we can give our lives to, that we can uh, provide resources toward. You know, You may not necessarily... Have coworkers who go to work and, and they sing songs, you know, I just want success, nothing else, nothing else. And, and when, if, we, if we reduce the idea of worship to singing songs, yes, no one else worships like Christians worship. But if we think about the reality that worship is devotion, you can probably name five or six people who are devoted to an idol. And he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that... By nature are not God's, and that is the place we all find ourselves in. Romans 3:23 puts it another way. If, you, if you've been in church, you've probably heard this phrase, uh, this statement, Romans 3:23, "For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God." And you know there when we talk about living in the domain of darkness, we, we talk about falling short of the glory of God. I almost think of it as, as the glory of God shining over all of that that is righteous. And because we, we have sinned, we are drawn into this domain of darkness and we are in the shadows and we just we fall short of being in that glory, of being able to reflect that glory. We're in the darkness. And that says nothing about this side of the stage. You guys too are in the darkness. I, we're all... So, anyways... Sometimes I get nervous, I say, you know, this side versus that side, and don't take anything by that. We're dead, unresponsive, blind, and in the dark to the things of God. This is the domain that we all are born into. And when God saves us, he delivers us from this domain. It's not a physical deliverance necessarily, but it's freedom from the power of darkness If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, he goes on to say, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I'm getting there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, dot, dot, dot. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what? Made us alive together with him, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Listen to verse 6. And raised him up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, we see that, that this transfer from, from, from darkness to light is a being seated with Christ. Now, you and I, we are sit, seated in Dominion High School. So again, there is a spiritual reality that we're talking about here that even though you and I physically are here in some sort of spiritual sense because we are united and in union with Christ by faith, by faith in Him, by trusting in Him, we are found not to be in the domain of darkness, not to be in the kingdom of darkness, but in in the presence of God, at the right hand of the Father, with Christ Himself, in the heavenly places. We are with Christ. Romans 6.6 says that Jesus was crucified in order that we might be freed from slavery to sin. God transfers us from the domain of darkness. He delivers us from the domain of darkness. How does God deliver us from the domain of darkness? Let's look at verse verse 13, the second part. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, when you see things like that, When you're reading your Bible, you know, there are these statements that are made, you know, these clauses, you know, he did this and he did this, or, you know, you'll, you'll read this statement and then you'll read a next statement. And it's always good to ask how those two things are related just in terms of like reading. How, how is his deliverance from the domain of darkness related to the fact that he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son? Are they, is it two just statements? Like he did this and he did this, you know? I like, uh, I like candy and popcorn. Or, or is there some kind of connection between these two? And I think that there's a connection here. I think that he delivers us from the domain of darkness by transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because when Paul talks about kingdoms, he talks about two kingdoms. Now, he'll talk about earthly kingdoms, he'll talk about nations, but by and large, when he talks about spiritual realities, he talks about the domain of darkness and the domain of God. The, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Christ, or, or God the Father. And, and so we see that the, the way that God takes us out of this domain of darkness, it's not just that he, he frees us and kind of says, good luck, here you go. It's not just that he says, okay, I'm going to pull you out of the shadow, but don't fall back in. No, he brings us in, he naturalizes us as citizens. And if you've ever been through that process, it's an arduous process to become an American citizen. You know, I think you have to live here for five years. You have to take a test that I don't think most Americans could pass. Um, I don't know if that's speaking to the difficulty of the test or... Yeah, I didn't say it. Elder JC said it. If you heard it, if you didn't, don't worry about it. I'll call him out. Um, but in terms of human effort, it's very difficult to be naturalized. But you know what? God delivers us, and God transfers us. And so we see that we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's really two kingdoms. And if you were to back up just a little bit, he talked about this inheritance. Uh, He said, may be strengthened, dot, 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 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in in the inheritance of what? The saints in light. And then he goes on and says, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. Paul is not... He's not a foolish writer. I mean, he's making a point here that, that you've been given this inheritance of light, that you've been taken from the kingdom of darkness in order to receive this inheritance in light of the saints in light. We've been transferred into this kingdom of his beloved son that is a kingdom of light. You know, and, in, in Revelation, just as I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I, was, I was listening to us worship the song, or not worship in the song. Worship in the song, not, not worship the song. Um see if I can find it. And, and I, somehow I landed in, in Revelation as I was thinking. And, and it says in Revelation 22, verse 4, they will see his face talking about Jesus. We will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, which is kind of weird, but it's symbolic language. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or uh, light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. There's a kingdom that God is establishing that is a kingdom of light. But it's not a kingdom of like GE light bulbs. It's not a kingdom of Philip's hue. It's a kingdom where God and his radiance and his glory just enlightens everything. And we have no need for a lamp or the sun. I mean, this is is serious light. This is the kingdom that he's transferred us into. It's It's the light that's established and, and expressed through the gospel itself in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, Paul is talking about the gospel and, and how unbelievers don't see and understand and appreciate the gospel for what it is. He says this in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, even if it's un- misunderstood or not understood, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, same thing we're, we're talking about, it, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? It's a light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In other words, our problem in this domain of darkness is not so much that we don't know or that we're incapable, but that we don't see God for his glorious goodness. We don't, when we look at God, when we look at Jesus Christ, we say, well, kind of an underwhelming or, I mean, he's okay. Or that, you know, that was a it was a great sacrifice of one guy, but I don't, you know, I don't know if I get it. We don't see that in the gospel, God's mercy and his justice are expressed through the power and the love of Jesus. And, and, and this is light. And when we're transferred into this kingdom, we see it for what it is, a source of Light. The kingdom is illuminated with the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus has overcome evil and is victorious over all his enemies. Now, what, what kind of kingdom is this? How does he describe this kingdom? He says it's the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus is beloved by the Father. He's loved by the Father, and that's good news for you and me because we are in Christ. Christ. The reason God the Father can have a relationship with you and me, the reason that he loves you and me in Christ, is because we're in Christ. Apart from that, he is just God. And that is a scary reality because we are what, again? Children of wrath. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust Jesus to be our Savior, to take away our sins, to, to have borne the punishment for our sins, and when we submit ourselves to him as Lord and we find ourselves to be united with Christ in such a way that when God looks at me, he sees Christ, and he loves me. We're in the kingdom of his beloved Son. If it's Jesus' kingdom, then who's King you know it, i i uh I remember getting my first car it It was a Nissan Sentra. It was red and it was old, but it was my car. My parents gave it to me, and I'm thankful for that. And it was my car. So who was driving that car? I tell you what, my sister wasn't. (laughs) My friends weren't. My parents, well, their grandfather didn't, so (laughs) if they needed to, they could. But I was driving the car because it was my car. Right? If this is Jesus' kingdom... And Jesus is king. There's no no other kings, right? This is not just, oh, this is the kingdom of my beloved son. You know, Jesus is kingdom. This is not Disneyland where Disney is dead and, and it's not really him running the show. No, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. I, re- I quote that often because it's some, it reminds me of the fact that Jesus reigns. Overall, he's not a president. He's not elected into, into his position. He's not a board member of whom I am also a board member. Right? There's no board in your life. Of whom you are a member. You're not, you're not, dis- you know, let's come to a consensus. What should we do about this relationship? Should we fornicate or no? Should we get married or no? You know, let, let's get, let's get the board members together and, and let's take a vote. Is it okay for us to lie at, at work? You know, let, let's, let's get together and take a vote. You know, is this next Netflix show really going to be okay? Is it okay for me? You know what? Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, I've got, I've got veto, veto power. No, he's a king, not a president, not a parliament, not a Congress. And I'm thankful for those things here because we need that because there are still people who are ruling who are children of wrath and, and, you know, there's things that have to be addressed through checks and balances. But when it comes to God's authority, who is perfectly just, perfectly loving, perfectly righteous, it's good that he's in charge. If Jesus is king, then those of us in his kingdom are his subjects. And again, this is not something that we're super, we can kind of relate to. You know, we as Americans, and you know, maybe not all of us, but many of us have this swagger about us. You know, I pay taxes. Teachers, you need to do what I tell you to do. I pay taxes. Government, you need to do what I tell you to do. I pay taxes. I'm going to go ahead and speed on this road, which is, by the way, a non sequitur. Um, The two, you know, one does not lead to the other. But we struggle with the idea of of living in submission, not living into you know we're going to cooperate. I'm cooper. We're we're, we're a cooperative. No no. Jesus says jump and we say how high. You know I just was introduced to Keith Green and I, and I know some of you who know who Keith Green is and um, but he has this song where he talks about, you know, it's better to obey than sacrifice. And I know that that comes from scripture. And he's just not just making that up. He's like, wow, that's a great Keith Green song. It's also scripture. But but when God calls us into the kingdom, he calls us to obey. Do do you live your life like you're a subject or, or the Lord? Subjects follow, the Lord leads. Subjects obey, and the Lord commands. Subjects, enact the will of the Lord. In other words, they do what they're told to do. In your, in your marriage, do you live like Lord or like a subject of the king? In your, in your parenting, do you live like a Lord or, or, or a subject? In your, in your thought life, in the way you think, and the things you think, do you think in this arena what I think, I'm king? I may not be able to express the things that I think, but I'm, I'm gonna think those things and you can't stop me. In your finances and time, do you live like a Lord or a subject who who has to submit his resources or her resources and time to someone who's going to judge how we spend those things? If we wish to be delivered into the domain of darkness, we must embrace the rule of the king. And I don't mean that in a salvific way. I'm not saying in order to be saved, you have to obey. But if you want to trust in Jesus, you can't just trust him as Savior and forget that he's going to be Lord. God doesn't invite us into a partnership. He's not inviting you into a partnership. You're not that good. I'm not that good. He's inviting us to be subjects in his kingdom. We've been transferred. God saves, God transfers, God delivers um he he does the work he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son you know it's it's neat that uh, if you're just as again as a read your bible every day if you read this i just want you to think about the exodus if you don't know what the exodus is the exodus is the the story of god saving the people of israel from slavery to egypt And listen, think about that story as I read this. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And instead of forgiveness of things, sins, think of freedom from slavery. Right, Paul, there there are a couple motifs that he's working here. And I just want to take a moment, a quick moment, to say that when you read your Bible, it informs your understanding because Paul probably was thinking about the Exodus. Or maybe if you think about the exile. The Israelites, because they disobeyed God, exiled them into slavery. And, and we can still hear some of the same language. And if you were to go back and read, I believe it's in, in Isaiah, you hear some similar language of redemption from sins, right? Being, uh, having something, someone pay something in order that you might be freed. Or we could go on and we, we could talk about Paul's own conversion in Acts. We, we hear the story of Paul being converted and, and we hear him being uh, saved in order to bring redemption to the to the Gentiles. Anyways, that's a side note. Um, but read your Bibles every day because it, it helps you to, to begin to flesh out what Paul's saying. And it doesn't seem so vacuous. So like, I don't, th- there's context that he's bringing. But we, we we need to go on. Okay, we're almost done here. He says, he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of, of sins kingdom life is life where we are forgiven of sins I'm so thankful for that when we trust in Jesus one of, the, one of the best things that we experience one of the benefits of salvation is that we are forgiven of our sins in other words we, we were children of wrath children deserving wrath but who gets the wrath if we put our trust in God Jesus gets the wrath He, on the cross, swallowed up the wrath of God. And there's this great exchange that that theologians talk about where he takes my wrath or the wrath of God on my behalf and I get his righteousness. I get his forgiveness. I get his right record. You know, it's, it's, it's like owing billions and billions of dollars and not just having it forgiven, but then receiving billions and billions of dollars. That's, that's what happens. That's this forgiveness of sins. But the problem is, in, not to pontificate on, on the American church, but I think that we have in many ways, because we are so focused on individual rights and individual personality and individuality, we have reduced Christianity to this idea of getting saved and forgiven of our sins so we can live whatever life we want to live. And, and we are never saved to a kind of freedom that says we can do whatever we want. The Bible talks about how we go from being slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. And we are saved into a kingdom. A kingdom of which we are not kings or queens. And so we are redeemed by the forgiveness of our sin in Christ. And that in Christ is so important because in Christ who Paul has already established to be what? The king. And you can't be in Christ if you reject Christ the king. Family, we live in a kingdom. And now we live in a nation and and there's a lot of things to capture our attention. And I don't mean to suggest that we should ignore what's going on in the world. We should certainly be aware of, pray for, consider, be active in our world to bring about whatever good that we're capable of bringing about. And I I don't just mean like spiritual good. I'm talking about physical good. That's why we do stuff for DHS. That's why we do stuff for Sterling. That's why we encourage you to vote because we want you to do good in the world. But any good that we do that's disconnected from eternal realities is temporary good. There there has to be a reality that we walk in that you and I, if we are in Christ, we are in a particular kingdom that, that exists outside of, above and beyond the United States of America. And it's a kingdom that we're called to invite other people into and it's a kingdom whose king demands our obedience. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord, my, my encouragement to you is to, to, to trust in him today. You don't have to do anything. Again, God delivers, God transfers, God redeems. But he does that as we, by faith, trust in him. He does that as we, by faith, grasp on to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Not just our Savior, but our Lord and Savior. As we say, you are a better king than I am. You are a better king than I am a queen and, you know, male, female. If that's you, I want to encourage you today is the day to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And family, if, if you're in Christ, let me, let me encourage you. Walk in his kingdom, celebrate his kingdom, invite people into his kingdom, and let his reign and rule inform the way that you live as a subject in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we pray that you would help us to to bring the kind of reality to the word Lord that needs to be brought in our own lives. That if it's become some sort of rote Meaningless phrase or term Lord I pray that Lord would begin to carry weight in our life that lordship would be something that we think about that living as subjects of the king would be something that we pursue that we would pursue obedience over sacrifice that we wouldn't just try to say well God I'm going to give you I'm going to give you Sundays and Wednesdays but God that we would say I'm going to give you everything and I'm going to obey and God I pray for those who are on the precipice of faith as they look over and they consider the past, they consider uh, the wrath of God and they consider the, the prospect of deliverance, of, 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 of transference into the kingdom of, of redemption, Lord, that they would grasp onto Jesus Christ. If you're in the room and, and that's you or if you're online, just, just raise your hand, I want you to pray. If you're online, you can let whatever hosts know. And I just want you to pray this prayer. Just pray, God, I trust in Jesus not in my own abilities to make my life right, but I trust in Jesus to remove my sin, to remove the wrath that's otherwise over my life. And I submit my life to you. I ask you to lead me as Lord. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. You can come down to the altar here and you can let one of our our prayer people know. If you're online again, you can let our hosts know but we want to help you walk this life out. And family, I just, as we close, I want to call us up, myself included, I want to call us up to living lives that are radically committed to the kingdom of God. Not that we we run away to a a monastery or isolate ourselves, but that as we live in this culture, as we live in this nation, nation, as we live in this town, that people would see that they have an allegiance to a king and a kingdom that, that changes the way they see the world. And they live radically different in a way that, that is loving and right and righteous. Let that be, let that be our testimony. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.